If you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com slash kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about designing with your kids. What does it look like to design a board game with your children? How do you, how do, you do that? Why would you do that? And I know some of you out there, maybe me too, are like, why in the world would I attempt such a thing? Some of you are like, I wish I could do that. How do I do it? And, and that's also been me as well. But anyway, we're talking to Patrick McNeil from McMeeple Games. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey there, Gabe. Thanks so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. Yeah, man, really glad to have you here. Excited to chat about this. This is something that is near and dear to my heart. My uh, my daughter Maria and I have worked on several games uh, just, just for fun, really, not, nothing too serious. Uh, and I know you've done a lot of fun things, but you've also done some serious work with your kids and and gotten games to the point of being pitched to publishers and taking mm-hmm. proto spill events and even uh, upcoming published. You're a guy that you and uh, your son Jack and, and I, we've been working together. We've got a game called Card Clash that's coming mm-hmm. out. So full disclosure, we're in a, a business relationship where I'm publishing an excellent game that you and your son have been working on for quite a while. It actually won the uh, the game design contest over at the Game Crafter. Uh, it used to be called Dungeon Duel, if anybody has seen or heard of that one. And so anyway, I'm excited to talk about your process. How do you do it? How do you do it effectively, right? I know there are a lot of people out there listening that would love to work on a game with their kids or maybe even with their spouse or somebody else that's a friend that's maybe not a super gamer. It's like, okay, how do I do this? And I think there's going to be some maybe uh, some carryover into not just your kids, but just loved ones in general. But anyway, before we get into all of that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Yeah, you bet. I appreciate that. Um, so I guess, I mean, I tease my friends and I'm like an OG nerd. I was uh, brought up in the eighties on RPG games and uh, board games back then. Of course we didn't have the variety we do now, but I mean, we, we had a, good set of like a dozen different RPGs that we played. So um, I don't know. We really enjoyed that stuff and it really shaped our youth, right? We grew up playing Axis and Allies. That was the big one um, that we can always kind of go back to. But so yeah, games have always just been a part of my life. Um, they kind of, I dipped out of them in the nineties for a bit, but because I was off being a dumb college kid, um, but then came back to them in the early two thousands and kind of been stuck in them since uh, in terms of game design, I'd say like, six years ago, I guess I decided, well, I, you know, I come from a family of makers. We make anything, right? Like whatever we get interested in, we figure it out. I'm like, well, I would love to make some board games. So I started making a game and did whatever. And then one day I, after many months of work, I discovered Firefly the game. And I'm like, oh, that's my game. My game is already made. Well, that was a big waste of time. So I had three things occur. Like one, I realized, well, this is frustrating. I just wasted so much time too. I'm like, wait a minute. I designed something that already exists. So 
my design ideas must not be so terrible. I must be like in the right ballpark of things. And then I was like, man, I need to get educated on this. And that's when I really dove into, found the Ludology podcast first, started at episode one. Somewhere along the way, I found um, the Board Game Design Lab, started listening to that one as well. So I've got a list of like three podcasts I go through. And so just immersed myself in that, you know, that learning process to try to get as good as I can. And so I play as many games as I can and we design all the games we can at the same time. Sometimes you get so frustrated with game design. You're like, why am I wasting my time? I should just be playing games. And then I go play games and I'm like, Oh, I have lots of ideas for games. I'm going to go make games. So, you know, it's a self-imposed kind of torture, I suppose. But yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things that at least I find I can't turn it off. Yes. Like no matter what I do, I can't turn this, this little switch in my brain off that goes, Ooh, what if we did this instead? Or what if we did this, you know, in a different way or yeah, I can't play anything. I can't read a book. I can't watch a daggum YouTube video. It seems without going, Oh, there's a game in there somewhere. And so, <laughs> so true. yeah, it must be some genetic thing encoded in, in folks like us. I don't know, but uh, let's get into talking about our kids, man. What, what made you want to start working with your kids? Was this something that you like wanted and then that turned out that they did too, or was it kind of more organic? Tell me about kind of the origins of working with your kids on game design. I guess it started, Maisie was about six-ish, and Jack was probably around eight. And I you know, I just enjoyed designing games. And I don't know, I related to what my dad did when I was a kid. My dad loved fishing. I don't love fishing. <laughs> like, that's the truth. But I love spending time with my dad. He drug us along, and we did all kinds of stuff. And he just shared that experience with us. And it just, we bonded over that. And so I view board games much in the same way, like where... It's my thing. I want to share it with my kids. It's a way to draw them in and do something. Um, and so a lot of times, actually, what it, if my wife travels out of town or something, like, well, I've got the kids for a week. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to design a game this week. And we've had some games come out of experiences like that. So um, I guess that's where it all started. I just I wanted a meaningful thing to do with them that was creative. It taught them how to sort of stick it out through the long haul to, to build something and to make it good learn how to work together and figure out like, well, how can we make this thing better? It's not just do whatever you want. It's like, well, people have to enjoy this thing, right? Or um, it's kind of funny light bulb moment with my daughter when she realized cards came in 18 per sheet. And she's like, oh, well, we can't add another card, dad, because then that would cost too much, right? It would drive the cost up. So you, like, you want to teach them these little, like these skills of like, you know, designing and building and perseverance and all those things. So it's just kind of become a good family activity and we all have fun with it. So that's kind of how it all, I guess, originated. Yeah. Very cool. It reminds me of the book blue Like jazz, which was written by Donald Miller years ago. And in the book, he talked about how he didn't like, or he didn't love jazz music until he got to know someone who did. And almost like hearing the music, the way that they we're hearing it and then talk about mm-hmm. it and talk about the history and the context and, and the way the notes and the music was coming together and the freestyle nature of it. And like once he got to know that, then he started to love it. And so I think as a parent, as a teacher, this is something I've learned in my, in my English class. You know, if there's a novel that I'm teaching and I love it and I understand the background and I know about the author and what, what he or she was going through and I understand the context and the deeper meanings and the themes and all the stuff that goes with it, then students are more likely to get excited too. Not always, but they're more likely. And if I hate it, they have no chance of liking it. You know, it's yep. just not going to happen. And so the more I do anything, you know, our kids see everything. And it seems like they see maybe the worst of us more than the best <laughs> sometimes. But they they see us, right? And I remember I spent a lot of time growing up with my grandfather. And he loved football. He loved Auburn football. And I watched countless games with him. 
And he would ball up little you know, socks. He'd take three or four socks and ball them up into like a football type shape when I was two or three years old. And he would throw them to me and he'd throw them a little too far where I'd have to jump or have to dive. And I developed my love of the game. I developed my ability to catch the ball with him. And not necessarily because I loved it, like naturally, but because he loved it. And I thought so much of him. He was very much a role model, a hero for me, especially in my earlier years. And so looking back, and I remember the first time I got to finally like walk through the smoke in that stadium, Auburn University logo on my helmet is like, huh. And you, you kind of get that, that interesting moment because like it all goes back when I was two years old mm-hmm. with my grandfather, right? And so I think that's another thing. Like if you want your kids to love something, you probably need to do it. You probably need to like let them see you engaging in that activity. Mm-hmm. And the more you do that, the more they'll, they'll want to. And you've got an interesting story with, I think, your unicorn game. And right. your daughter. And, and so go into that one. And because I think that's another really cool, like organic way to understand, like how this stuff can come about. And so anyone listening to this that, that wants to kind of set your kids up, so to speak, uh, this might be might be something. Tell me tell me about that one. Yeah, absolutely. So Crazy Unicorns was really the first collaboration I had with the kids. And it was with Maisie, my my younger. She was about six. I, I think it was really the first thing that we pushed to a really good spot. And it all came out of, we'd go, we go camping a lot. We have a camper, we tow around the country and uh, we play Uno and Yahtzee. Well, we were playing Uno and she loves the take that cards, which, you know, then be mean to each other, draw for that kind of stuff. And I kind of, you know, I had that like moment where you're like, oh, there's the kernel. There's the spark right there. I'm like, Maisie, what would you think if we made a game that was only filled with cards like that? Every card did stuff like that. And she just like looked at me and she's like, Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, we get home from vacation and um, this is another, like, this is being opportunistic. So we're sitting at martial arts where Jack is taking martial arts and we're sitting there and we, you know, I get out the computer and we start shopping for uh, unicorn art. We started with the art. That's right where you start with a game, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> Every time. Spend as much money as you can. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I knew I had to get her hooked visually. So understanding what's going to make it appealing to her, she's not going to like just plain text on a card. I'm like, well, if she sees art that she loves, um, and I had kind of searched and found like, you know, a dozen different ones to pick from. And so we went through all those and she picked it out. And it's a very memorable moment. We both can very distinctly remember like what we were doing, how we were doing it, and the feeling of like picking out the art. And she she loved it. And like she immediately latched onto it. So it really drew her in. And then we just started making crazy unicorns and it evolved into what it is today. So, yeah, I think the the biggest thing I learned with that, because if I talk about a story with Jack, one of the first times after that, I was trying to make a game with Jack. It was for the parts only contest on the game crafter and you could only use parts. So I just got a bunch of, bunch of crap and I dumped it on the table. I'm like, Jack, let's, let's like make a game out of this. And it was just like, uh, uh, you know, I didn't have any good ideas. Have any good ideas, so we didn't make anything. Like it didn't go anywhere, and so I, I realized after that is if I'm going to make a game with them, and I want to make a game that is of high quality that I would want to sell to other people, has high production quality, but has gameplay and like that they're a real part of that. So I want to teach, like, drag them along on that experience. Um, I need to come in with a kernel of an idea, like a spark that starts the whole thing. Because if I don't do that. I can't look at a blank slate. I don't have enough, I would say, design experience in the game design world to just be able to show up, look at a blank slate, and boom, have a great idea. 
maybe after you know another dozen years or so of doing this, I might be there, but I'm not there yet. I have to have that epiphany. So if I don't bring that to the table with the kids, it's just never going to work. So when you see those little sparks, when you have those opportunities, that's when you, you like, you know, you're onto something that's going to have some potential to it. And so that was, that's what happened with crazy unicorns. I can pretty much point to that on every game that we've made together, where that little nugget came from. So, yeah, that's great. And you bring up a really good point there in that what's going to draw that child or, or that loved one in. Now you mentioned Absolutely. art with your daughter. It's like, that. that's so brilliant. You didn't sit down and go, okay, here are some note cards and some random blank things. It's like, no, no, check out this art, you know, check out this thing that you knew was going to draw her into it. Mm-hmm. And then that gets her juices flowing. That gets her more excited, more motivated. And then in turn, it, it probably helps you get a little more motivated as well. And so it kind of oh, feeds, yeah. feeds itself. And so that's, that's really smart. And then also, I guess just like any other game design, you know, if I'm going to work, with a co-designer that hates Euro games, I wouldn't go, Hey, I got this really cool idea for a Euro game necessarily. You know what I mean? If I've got mm-hmm. a 10 year old, I wouldn't go, okay, I've got this twilight Imperium style game. I want to develop with you. It's like, okay, maybe that's not the smartest <laughs> thing to do. And so beginning in a place that makes sense, just using common sense, I think is a good place to start. But then also let's dive into expectations because I mean, I feel like that's just as a parent, a great way to screw up your kids is putting expectations they can't live up to that they didn't deserve that are really more about you and your ego and your pride, you know, all sorts of stuff. We, you know, mess things Mm -hmm. up as parents. And so talk to me about maybe your expectations going in because it's like, okay, we just want to have fun. This is just time to hang out and get to know each other and and enjoy time together. Or we want to create something like you said a moment ago, high quality that could be pitched, that could be, you know, a real life thing. And so tell me about like expectations, how to manage those and not screw up your kids. (laughs) Yeah, right. Because um, it is possible to crush their, their poor egos in the process. I think a big thing is just to to be very aware of what you're walking into. So I've I've encountered multiple scenarios. Like uh, I was at a, a game event where there was some designs being presented, but these this whole group of kids had created this game. And their board was like, a, like this mat that was like two feet across. And I swear it was like eight feet long. So this was a complete creation by the children with the children, no intention of it being published. They just wanted to like play their game and have fun. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? So if that's like, if the kid is driving it, if the kid's interests are driving it, awesome, support them, ask them what they need, figure out how they need help. That's not really, it's not that case with me. Like I drive the initiative, I drive the interest. And so um they understand I want to make finished games, but that I want them to be involved in it. So it's a very much a collaboration. That's why we put both our names on the cover, because it would be dishonest to the children to say, Maisie designed this game. I was like, no, she didn't design the game. Maisie and Patrick designed the game. So being very upfront and honest about that and letting them understand. I even make them split the royalties with me, which isn't that much, but it still represents our equal involvement and investment in it. So I'm aware of that's where I'm at. And I'm aware that like, I want to produce high quality games that I can be proud of because for me, this is, that's a lot of times my design output. Like I got a job, I got a family. I can't go design my own games and design games with them and be a parent and an employee and all that. So this is my, my output as well. So I have kind of my own things that I want out of it, but I'm very aware of all this. So I'm not like frustrated when they don't go the way I want, because I, I mean, there's another person involved and the person is oftentimes much, much too young to understand the impact of things or like why I might like something versus the other. So yeah, I think it's just about being aware of where you're at on that spectrum, 
what do you want out of this? Who is it just for the kid to like feel satisfied? Um, I've got a nephew who I give parts to and he designs games just for fun on paper and you play them and it's, they're not going anywhere. It's just like, he's just doing it for fun. It's an exploration. Um, so, but nobody pushes expectations on him. Like, Oh, you should put that in a contest and get your, you know, get your soul crushed by, you know, negative feedback or something. So it's, it's really just that understanding goes a long way to really knowing what, where do you want to go from this? Right. So I know, like, I have a clear definition of who we are and what we are. And the kids understand it. Like we're indie game designers. We want to see our product through to the end and get a finished printed game at the end of it. Hence why we love the game crafter. Everything we do is on the game crafter. We can design, produce everything, print it, and you get a package in the mail. And when we say we design games with our kids and then our kids show somebody the game, they're like, oh, you like really design games. Like you really do it. It's not a joke, right? It's, it's something that other people might want. Um, but that, again, this is we're, it's it's a an agreement. We all know where we are in the spectrum, and the kids even will joke like, "Oh, well, Dad, that's your part. I, we don't want to do that computer junk." I'm like, right on. That's that's my job. I love that part. I'm good with that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's just it's just about being aware, right, and knowing why you're in it, what you're in it for. Certainly not in it to get rich. I can tell you that much. Um, any earnings we we get easily get offset by the expenses of funding games and game design. So, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you, you, break, you make a good point is in being intentional, right? Beginning yeah. with the end in mind and thinking through, okay, where do we want this to go? Because if you don't know, it's really hard to get there, first of all. And yep. it might go in a direction that you you thought it was going to go one way and, and they thought it was going to go another. And again, expectations, that kind of is where we, we screw things up as parents. And then also just like you were saying, the, uh, the 19th card. If this is a game we want to publish, then if my kid's like, hey, I want to add this extra card, it's like, okay, we can't because here's why. Yep. We can talk through the finances and the, the costs of manufacturing and stuff like that. But if it's just for fun, then I'm not going to crush their idea and go, no, I can't add that. Why? Because? <laughs> Again, no, there's no, no reason <laughs> if we're just doing this for fun and not to actually you know, print or something yep. like that. And so just understanding those expectations. Uh, as far as then what, right? Because kids... And game designers probably share the same, oh, look, there's a new squirrel to go chase over there. So how do you, one, keep you and then also these, you know, children focused, mm -hmm. right? And not just bouncing around to 50, 11 different projects, different ideas and constantly changing things and adding more and, and doing this different and all that. How do you kind of keep the projects moving forward so that they actually get completed as opposed to, yeah, let's start a new idea every single day? Well, what's funny is when they're early on, they don't want to let anything go. So they think it's always done. Almost any condition that it's in, they'll be like, oh, it's done. It's and I'm like, I'm like, well, it's not really done, but let's keep fiddling with it and see what happens. And so, you know, things can go well um, or poorly, I guess. Um, but we should talk about, uh, I use the Game Crafter contest, actually, because we get finished product there. But the contests give you some boundaries, like this is what we're doing. This is the goal. It has to be a you know 20-minute game for under $20 was one of the contests that we entered. And so there's these a deadline. There's some boundaries to to what's happening there. But it can be a little interesting getting kids to like agree on things. And there's definitely a lot of I've employed a lot of strategies to that. They've gotten better at it to where now they're more they know that like I'm putting them through the process to make it better. So they've accepted it. But early on, like Maisie in particular and Crazy Unicorns, there were cards that she just, oh, they were just the best. You cannot get rid of these cards. Like I love these cards. And so sometimes it's really hard to like pry it out of her hands. Um, and so 
and she's going to laugh when she listens to this because sometimes I would go change things when she wasn't looking and I'd make her wait like a week before we'd play it again. So then she'd forget that that was there. <laughs> so I'm totally, you know, hustling the kids a little bit at times to get them to accept it. She wasn't then, like, where did that draw 27 card no. go? Uh, draw 27 was my favorite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, it's funny because they, they, at times they wouldn't notice. Sometimes she would notice. And there was one card in particular she would notice. And what's really funny is there's this card called um, Happy Birthday. And basically the player gets to draw a card for every other player that's in the game and then give everybody a card. Well, naturally, this takes a long time, especially when you're like seven and you're trying to figure out how to like, you know, give everybody the worst thing possible. And you just like to a seven-year-old, this was like the epiphany of control and like fun, but when I tested it in places like Protospiel, everybody's like, oh my gosh, that card takes too long. You got to get rid of that card. Everybody thought that card had to go. And I tried removing it. And she was like, where'd my freaking card go? Bring the <laughs> card back. And so we put the card back in and the card's in there to this day. But consistently, kids play it and they love that card because there's a level of control. So, you you know, you really do start to learn to accept their crazy minds and their crazy ideas that aren't filtered by all the things that we have. Um, and they come at it with a different angle, and it's it's interesting. There's a balance to be had there. So you, you definitely get used to, like, trying things, like getting them to try things is the hardest. Like, what happens if we remove this? Oh, they don't want to let it go. So you got to – sometimes you just got to force it and be like, well, let's we'll set it over here. We'll just try it without it, you know, or things like that, figuring out ways to, to be kind about it, which, I mean, honestly, that's how you should kind of treat anybody when you're collaborating on things. So You know – I guess I mean, <laughs> if we have to, right? <laughs> but you, you bring up uh, something really interesting thing about is that is this child of mine also the target audience because they love yeah. this card. But when I go play it with a, a room full of 40 year olds, they're like, Oh, yeah. I hate that. But when I play it with the kids, they love it. And it's like, okay, well, who's the art audience? And, and so thinking through those terms, I that's feel like true. that's another, it's a downside of protospiels and unpub events in that you end up playing games with like uber gamers that play mm-hmm. everything and understand all the things that are super deep into the hobby and also a lot of game designers. And we just, we play games differently than people who aren't designers. That's and true. so that's kind of a danger of, if you only do those events and you don't just play test with like random regular old people, then you can end up with a game that maybe isn't for people that are just normal gamers, yep. right? They're And so, and something else too, to think about, is that something else you've, you've kind of run into as far as like audience and, and figuring out? Absolutely. Yeah. It was really fun with crazy unicorns. Maisie had a birthday party, like a sleepover right when we were doing it. And so we got the kids playing it. Oh man, there were kids crying because it's a take that game. There were kids crying. Kids are having fun. Everybody wanted to play it again. It was like we knew we knew we were onto something. We formed the motto: if if nobody's crying when you're playing it, you're not playing it right. So you know it can be a little bit mean sometimes. But then on the flip side, yeah, like a protospiel. Um, I started Jack early. He started playing games at like four. We were playing HeroScape, and so he's he's played easily hundreds upon hundreds of different games. He can learn games incredibly fast. His skill level is way beyond his age. In fact, he's finally old enough to have other kids that are in his realm. He just was brought up on it, right? So when I would take him to Protospiel, it was really entertaining because people had low expectations of him because he's a kid. But he finally learned that like once somebody would call on him and be like, well, what do you think? He'd, he'd, he'd usually like stand up and start talking and everybody's like, wow, he like, he like actually knows about designing games. He knows all the terminology and he's dissecting it and finding the loopholes and uh, telling them what he likes or dislikes about it, which was really well received because, you know, there weren't many 10-year-olds 
that could go and articulate what they like or dislike about these these games. So he actually became pretty popular at some of those protest reels. People were people were dragging around from table to table playing their games. So he never had a problem finding something to play. So it's it's been interesting. So things like that, just like as a parent, you look at it and you're like, well, this is amazing. He's building this confidence. He's learning to speak, um, especially with other adults, which is kind of awesome, right? Like he's gaining that confidence that you want him to have, and um, you know, just learning good skills, but. Beyond that, in terms of game design, he also became exposed to a lot more. So his skills are definitely definitely up there. I will say this this brings me to this notion of scale. So Maisie just wants to design games with me, like because it's fun. So I know when I'm not spending enough time with her because she'll say, "Dad, we should design a game." So it's like, okay, there's my cue. I'm not I'm not as engaged as I should be. But we design really small games, which me personally as a designer, I tend to be really I, I think better suited for designing small, tightly controlled systems, which is right, like why Dungeon Duel, I think, and Card Clash works. But Jack, on the other hand, wants to design these epic things. So getting him to dial it down, because designing an epic game, man, it might take you five years to make that game. It's like, geez, in five years, he's going to be in college. So we don't have that kind of time. So I actually struggled sometimes with him to get him to like lower... Like, <laughs> down to a bite-sized nugget, because you're right, he won't... When you asked about sticking to it and over the long haul, like, oh man, the chances that he'll still be interested in it in, you know, two years is very unlikely. Um, but with like Card Clash, it's funny. I I had to decide whether I felt like if I would be okay designing for that game over the long haul, because it's very likely that Jack's interest will fade and he'll go off to school and like, it'll be me. And I'm like, yes, I could do that for like a really long time. And I'd be very happy about it because the system affords a lot of opportunity. So I know what I'm getting out of it. I know what they're getting out of it. And it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've gone down a rabbit hole there. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. And it's honestly something, no matter what your age, when you're getting into anything creative, it's always dangerous to start off with a big scope in mind, especially for game design, because you're get, you're getting better at a very rapid rate, right? When you design a, your first game, it is utter garbage typically. And then after doing it for six months, you're a good bit better. And after a year, after a few years, you have grown infinitely as a game designer and understanding systems, understanding how to play test and all that stuff. And so if you begin with a really big project, you'll get halfway through it and have to scrap the whole thing because now your skill level looks at the the stuff you did in year one. You're like, wow, this sucks. And you have to like mm-hmm. start over, over and over and over again. And so that's another reason why it's good to just begin small, you know, start off with, with smaller in scope projects because your skill level is, is going to rapidly increase. Also, you'll probably run into something where your skill level is just not there enough to fix it. You, you, you run into a wall and you're like, I have no idea how to get over or through or under this wall. And then just because you don't have the skill set. And so I think that's really, really smart. Um, but let's get a little more into life skills. You, you talked about being able to talk to adults, which is super valuable for children. Mm-hmm. You talked about being able to articulate feedback, which is very rare. You, you just, usually kids are like, I like this. I, I hate this. I love it. I, I, this makes me feel bad, like, but they can't like say in real vocabulary why or the deeper things. And so that's a huge life skill presentation and just like talking in front of people, especially kind of intimidating older people, huge life skill. So obviously this is teaching your kids excellent things for the long haul. What are some of the mm-hmm. other things that they've learned? I, I feel like obviously like taking in feedback and not crying Every single time about it is a huge thing that I had to learn at, you know, right. 20 years old. And so when I was writing stories and getting terrible reviews from my classmates. Um, but what are some of the other life skills you've noticed 
that it's just good in general for parents to do this kind of thing, even if it doesn't turn into money, if it doesn't turn into publish something, yeah, just sure. the life skills. What are some other ones? Uh, a few come to mind. For one, collaboration, like being able to work with each other. We, Angela, my wife, left town a while back when we started. I'm like, okay, we're going to make a game called Space Unicorns, inspired by a Perry Grip song. You got to go look it up if you're a parent. It's fun music. Anyway, so we're like, we're going to make a Space Unicorns game. And so one over the course of a week it was the first time all three of us designed a game together. And man, there was some there was some butting of heads, like in all three directions, like over what the vision for this thing should be. And we had to work through it. And it was either give up or figure out how to kind of work together and make this thing work. So I thought that was, for me, the collaboration is really huge. The other one, which um, I think Jack has seen this more because he's done more at like protospiel events, um, but being less like what I want versus when I watch people play the game, are they having fun? Do they enjoy what they're doing? Do they look bored? Which things, actions does nobody want to take? Which cards does nobody want to play? Which cards do people want to play? So it builds that like empathy and that ex external view, like realizing that other people are having different experiences than you. They don't all think and feel exactly like you. And so that just sort of that awareness and, um, consideration of others is obviously a huge deal. And I, I think that flows over into countless other areas of their life where they're just aware of the humans around them and that their lives are hard or easy for different reasons. And they have different, you know, scenarios that brought them to where they are. So it, it I think it's built their empathy in that way. So yeah, it's been so, really positive to see. I don't know if there's a better thing you can teach your kids than empathy. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's anything right. you can teach them about finance, about work ethic, about just, just name the stuff, all the million things we try to teach us as parents, empathy, it might be number one. I, I don't know <laughs> if I can think up off the top of my head and, you know, my own mm -hmm. personal family, um, I've, I've done a lot of mission stuff over the last forever. And, you know, I try to take my kids along as much as I can. Um, one, because babysitters are, are get expensive. Um, maybe not, not nervous, <laughs> but, um, in general, but also yeah. but maybe because I want my kids to, see these things. I want them to experience life and understand that what they have experienced growing up is not necessarily normal. Right. And, and there's obviously a billion definitions for normal, but that there are so many people in the world dealing with different things. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time, um, we were driving home from dinner and it was raining. It was, it was rainy season in Honduras. And so it was just pouring down rain and we're driving home and, um, we, we had some, takeout. We, we, you know, my, some of my kids didn't finish their food, which I'm sure I'm the only parent that deals with it. I've learned not to order anything and then just eat my kids leftovers. And I save so much money because they don't eat half of what they buy. And it's like, oh, it's frustrating. Anyway, side. <laughs> We're driving home and we, we stop at a red light and there at the light is a child, maybe 10 years old, maybe 10, standing there begging for anything, right? Pouring down rain. And my daughter, Maria, she was maybe eight, seven or eight years old. And she looked at me and she said, where's his family? And I was like, well, let's have a conversation about that. And um, it was a long light, which kind of worked out. And uh, just in brief terms, told her, hey, there's a lot of kids that they don't have families um, yeah. or they do have families, but there's, there's a lot of stuff going on or, you know, who knows what this kid is going through on a daily basis. And she's just like, she, I mean, just crying. Like she just said, she doesn't have words to articulate what she's feeling, but just going through it. Right. And, um, and she's, she was holding the, the takeout box and she's like, can I give this to him? And in my heart, before she said that, I'm like, please have some kind of response of, <laughs> of understanding and like 
you know what I mean? Like want to help, want to do something. Mm-hmm. Cause as a parent, you know, you want your kid. And, um, I was like, yeah, I think that'd be a good idea. And so, you know, she rolled down the window and waved the kid over and, and gave him the leftover Chinese food or whatever it was. And, you know, he said, thanks. And, um, and as we drove the rest of the way home, it was just this great opportunity to have a conversation about life and other people and what they're going through and all that. And obviously game design is not nearly as heavy as something like that, but right. it does create opportunities to deal, deal with not the right word, to engage with other people from different walks of life, especially when you go to these proto spiels and unpubs mm-hmm. and other things. And you got people from totally different environments and situations all coming together for one purpose to play test and have fun, you know, playing games. And your kids get to experience that. And man, there's just so many valuable things that they get to learn. But empathy being probably uh, a huge one, especially during feedback sessions, right? When people are like, oh, I don't like this. Oh, this is fun. I didn't, I hated this aspect. And they get to, one, get a little tougher, right? Because some stranger just said that this this thing yeah. that they've created um, was not any good. And hopefully the stranger has enough politeness not to be too mean to a child when it comes to that. <laughs> um but anyway, I think this is just another thing of even if you don't want to do this professionally, if you don't care about mm-hmm. publishing and all that stuff, the valuable skills that your children get to learn, specifically empathy, but so many others, makes it worth it. And and so even if you do it just for a little while and it leads to something else, anyone listening to this, I would highly recommend if you have kids, if you have younger um, nieces or nephews or cousins, anybody in your life that you could reach out to and, and just introduce because it also creates more game designers which is also right. a good thing more problem solvers and i guess that's another thing. Maybe, maybe the number two thing problem solving <laughs> so tell me about that what have you noticed with your kids in them developing problem solving skills because that's like 90 percent of game design tell me about your experience with that i don't know that i see it in problem solving so much i think it maybe pushes them on the tenacity and perseverance front more than anything because it is we do sort of exist in a culture where it's instant gratification and there's no delay for anything you do. And the notion of hard work to achieve things is not really that easy to come by. And so if we think about the contests that I put our games in, well, there's nobody in those contests that are like going to throw a prize to a kid just because it's a kid and he's cute and like, oh, let's let him win. Like, no, <laughs> like these contests are serious and there's a lot of serious game designers entering them. And so it's, you know, in that sense, they've had to learn like, oh, it takes real long, hard work to do these things. And I didn't win the contest. And that's, you know, losing can be a hard thing to accept sometimes. Like, oh, that's a bummer. What a letdown that is. You know, finally, Jack and I won a contest and he teases he doesn't ever want to enter another contest because he's 50-50 now, whereas I'm like one for like seven or eight. So, um, you know, he's, he's got a one up on me. So he Go doesn't out on want top, man. You know, yeah, he doesn't, retire. Why would he reduce his, his win rate? But, uh, that's Jack gamifying contests and <laughs> designing games. But yeah, I think like, that's the thing that that's one of the things that sticks out more to me than the problem solving. That's really hard to figure out. Like, what would they be otherwise? You know, like, would they do that anyway? I don't, I don't know. That's, that's not been one that's stood out real strongly for, for me anyway. So interesting. So other angle, when I'm with my daughter, Maria, she creates these ludicrous games that the rules are constantly evolving and they typically evolve and change depending on how much she's winning or losing. Right. Naturally. At least she's a little older now. So that's gotten a little different now, but anyway. um, And so the problem solving would come in with having to solidify the rules. Right. Mm. Because in her mind, um, what's the problem? I'm winning by 10 spaces. It's like, okay, 
let's 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 talk through this. If you want other people to play this game, other than you winning every time, um, and so that's where a lot of it came in. In fact, yeah. fixing the systems, fixing, and again, it might be a little rolling move. It might be something really simple, but uh, understanding that there's more to it and, and kind of codifying things with with more structure, I think, is where I found uh, her yeah. in, in dealing with problem solving. But I want to go back to what you're saying a minute ago because game design is a grind in a lot of ways, right? There's a, a ton of fun and motivation and excitement and you, you know energy flowing. Mm-hmm. And then you hit like play test number 47 and you're like, wow, this is a bit of a slog. So how do you keep the kids interested? How do you keep them going through that kind of middle yeah. pathway where it's just like a grind is it's kind of not as enjoyable, not as fun. How do you keep going? Well, the contest can be a, a help and a problem on that front. Cause it, on the one side you can say, look, kids, the deadlines in two weeks, like when the um, solo duo contests that we won, when the deadline was coming up, I'm like, Jack, we, we just got to work really hard for the next month and then we can stop, right? It'll be over. So there's like a, a known end date to this. So that kind of helped. But I must admit, he was, he was really freaking tired of playing that game at the end of that. We took it on vacation with us because it was like leading right up to the deadline. And we just, I mean, we were playing it in the hotel. We were playing it in the car. We were playing everywhere. Like we're just, cause we needed to grind through these 12 decks to get them just right. And um, so yeah, that can be real painful. So now since, you know, we're kind of in this long path for uh, card clash, we, my thing is the approach is to balance it. Just not, don't drown them in it. Right. Um, I go back to like when my dad would take us fishing, he didn't, it wasn't just fishing. That wasn't the only thing we did. We we had skis and kneeboards and stuff. My dad didn't care about that stuff. We cared about that stuff. So he was making sure to like, let us be kids and do our thing. And just, again, it's just about being mindful and realistic about your expectations of things. And in some ways, that's why I take games to like Protospiel because like, I want to test it more and push it farther, but I've reached the boundaries of what my kids can tolerate <laughs> without throwing a fit. Um, so yeah, I've learned to, you know, you just balance it. You know, it's, it's about a marathon. It's not, a sprint usually, unless you have a deadline and then you use the deadline to your advantage to say, well, it's almost over guys stick with it and it'll be done and we can move on. And then that usually gets them kind of over that hump, I guess. Yeah. And it's nice to have built in play testers, play testers that live at your house. That's always enjoyable. My wife helps me play test a lot of games. It's super convenient because it's, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night, kids are in bed. It's like, Hey, you got 20 minutes. It's really 45, but don't tell her that. Um, <laughs> and, and it's great just to have that under your roof, but to not overwhelm them. Uh, I can't do that every night. I can't do that all the time. Otherwise, the answer will forever be no. And you got to know the give and take. Yeah. And I also have a tendency to to pay my children sometimes. I'll give them real money and say, hey, I'm working on this. And like Maria, she's great about helping me cut out cards and like create the prototypes and stuff like that. And I pay her. And to do that, now I'll, I'll pay her, you know. 10 bucks, 20 bucks, something like that, depending on how big the, the project That's is. That's a dangerous precedent to set. It is, but it helps me get stuff done. And um, it's always funny mm-hmm. because like whenever she runs out of money, she'll be like, hey, dad, you got any, uh, you got any prototypes? Uh, you know, just, just want to see, you got any, any things need to be cut out? And it's like, oh, uh, uh, mm, and I'll usually find something. I'll like, let me, let me print something off. I'm working on it. It's like half done just so you can do that because That's I want funny. her to keep asking. But um, I find that to, to work. But uh, let's switch gears a little bit. How do you console a child who just had a really bad play test who didn't win a contest, who put a ton of effort and work into something that it didn't work out. What do you say? Cause like, I, I know what I would say after a, a loss of a baseball game or a football game, but what do you say? Cause this is different. You know what I mean? It's not like a sport where you go out and the scoreboard determines winning and losing success is different here. And so how do you talk to a kid who's having a, a hard day because they didn't win the contest because the game's not working? What do you say in those moments? 
Yeah, I think it, it really is just about staying on the horse. Like we took, uh, Jack and I took a little space game that we never finished. I want to go back to it someday, but we took this game to Protospiel and honestly, it got, you know, it got picked apart. And the first gameplay was like, oh, no, 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 we gotta, we, this is all wrong. You got to do it this way. And he just walked away, just like crushed, like, like I don't know what to do. And yeah, I think he just kind of gave up on it in that moment. And the only way to get him going was like right then. It's just like anything. You've got to go do it right now. And you've got to work on it and like see them through and just guide them through. Like, oh, this is just, a, this is one of the person's ideas. Like, they're not right or wrong. It's just, these are ideas and we need to think about whether we like them. And that's really where, yeah, accepting some critical input and seeing how, like finding the pieces that they were right about. Like, oh, I think they really were right. Like this part over here is broken or, or boring or not as interesting or whatever. Um, but then this other thing over here that they suggested, they just, they didn't understand like what we were trying to achieve. And that's fine. Like we can, we can let that go. So it's, again, it's just modeling the way. Like if I throw a fit, then they're going to think, oh, well, you just throw a fit when you get negative feedback. It's like, oh, no, dad gets negative feedback. What does he do? He, he goes and like, he digs in harder to figure out how to work on it, right? And that's really what it comes to. Now, the contest is kind of different because by that time, they finished it. And by the time you get contest results, it's like months later. It's honestly, it doesn't really crush them that much. Um, they're usually, you know, they're, they're excited that it's possible. We make sure to say like, look, like there's 60 designs in the thing and they go look at them and they're like, holy cow, these people, these are all really good. So they understand from the get go that that's a, that's a far um, possibility, I guess, especially when like we've actually pitched pretty much everything we've done to, to Ravensburger in particular, because it's so easy to get a pitch with them because they put out these calls for pitches and you submit your ideas and then they either accept you or don't, but we've pitched, I think pretty much everything that we finished together um, to them and that was a great process too. But I mean, gosh, talk about climbing a steep hill, right? Like the chances of that succeeding are pretty small um, just because their needs and interests are so specific. But again, the kids accepted just fine. I, I don't think that those things weren't hard on them at all. It's more the like immediate feedback about the thing they just created now being told it's bad or wrong. It, it's you got to model the way. And that's really, I think the only thing you can do. That's a really good point. You also bring up another life skill I just thought about, and it's it, it's important for kids to know eventually at some point that adults aren't always right, that adults can say things that are incorrect, that are untrue, that are just opinion-based, and you don't have to base your entire understanding of fact based on someone else's opinion. And this is a great opportunity to learn that in a pretty safe environment for, the, for an, an adult to say, I don't like this game for X, Y, and Z reason. Yeah. And then you talk to your kid and go, yeah, but that's just their opinion. That doesn't define the game. It doesn't define you as a person or a creative or whatever. That's important because I feel like it's one of the issues kids run into a lot now is that they get online, whether it's through social media or whatever, and an adult comments, says something, and it warps them in a way because they, they haven't fully grasped, grasped that adults can be wrong, inaccurate, full of crap, um, have ill intent even, right? And right. so that's another interesting little life skill that, that just popped up. But um, let's let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about Card Clash. And again, this is a game that I am publishing. I'm super excited about it. So one to two player dueling style game where there's a ton of different characters. And it's almost like Smash Bros in some way. We're like got a lot right. of different people coming in and having fun. But um, let's talk about that one. That's an interesting system. And I like it a lot as far as like designing a game with a kid because every deck is different. It's not like, okay, let's design this big game. And every time we play it, it's kind of the same. It's the same worker placement locations. Mm -hmm. It's the same cards coming out. It's the same, whatever. Like this game is very, very different because each deck 
It's very different in how it plays, different to design. And so was that kind of intentional in that, like, oh, this makes a lot of sense because it kind of keeps the, the juice flowing, it keeps the motivation. And like, just, just tell me about the that and, like, just the general design process for that one working. Right. So before Dungeon Duel, I had a game called Shields Up, which was a little card game meant to simulate what it's, the original intent of that was to simulate what it's like to manage energy on a spaceship, which it didn't achieve that at all. I later made another game that actually did that, but that's beside the point. So this game had, it was just an 18 card based system again for a contest. So I had that in my past and I like had that system in mind. And I, for years I'd kind of thought about like, well, how could I extend that? And then another event occurred, which was there was a humble bundle for an asset pack, like an art asset pack. And it, there's gotta be like 10,000 pieces of art in this kit and you got it for like 30 bucks. And I'm like, okay, I'm buying that. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but I'm buying that. And so I had this massive database of stuff. And then there's Jack. He's into D and D. He loves monsters. I show him the art and he's like, Oh, this is awesome. We got to use all this art. Cause there's a ton of like, you know, monsters and swords and potions and all kinds of crap in it that he loves. Right. So I've got all these things and I'm like, okay, so what can we, what can we do with this? I like the shields up system because it's this tight little engine um, we like all these different characters and we just kind of the, the idea that him and I formed was like, what if we made 18 card character decks? And I knew in my mind that that meant it was confined and it couldn't sprawl into, you know, Gloomhaven. And it, it's these tight little 18 card decks that fight against each other. And we can use that because we have essentially unlimited art to work with. We can make all the characters we want. And we started off like, Oh, let's make four characters because that's what you do. You know, like Root has four characters. The other aspect of that that I anchored onto, and this was all quite intentional. I knew what I was doing because I was setting up good boundaries for us, like you said. Um, Knowing Root, we've played Root. Jack's played Root. It's a pretty big learning curve to learn a new faction, right? Which is awesome, and that game is amazing. But that's not like a real impulsive system. Like you don't just show up and just be like, oh, I'm just going to play a new one and I'll, I'll play the other one. It's like, no, you got to like do your homework and know how to play the thing, right? Like this is a major ordeal. So I'm like, okay, Jack, what if the custom rules for each deck fit on one of those cards? I'm like, so this is our system. We're going to make 18 card decks. We're going to have all the rules that are specific to a deck on the back of a card and you show up and you fight each other. And so like it kind of checked all the boxes for him. It kind of was that D&D world um, it actually, it's been really fun because as we got into some characters, his knowledge of D and D exceeds mine. Cause he reads everything. So it's like, he's like, Oh yeah, the most famous, um, uh, beholder had a pet goldfish. And I'm like, that's random, but okay. So the, you know, our equivalent of the beholder, uh, has a pet goldfish and it's total nonsense, but it's awesome. Right? Like it's kind of, there's this little nugget of history in there for it, but yeah, so like those were the boundaries that we set up and we set out and we made four decks and we're like, well, that worked pretty good. We kept adding more and then we figured out that people, and again, this is through playing with Jack and playing with other people, we realized that people really loved the weird characters, like playing the necromancer or playing like a druid-like figure that can change shapes, things like that. And we're like, oh, people don't want to be a wizard and a fighter. Like we've done that like a billion times. Let's do something else. So we're like, what's the most ridiculous thing somebody could be? And it's like the gelatinous cube. You never get to be a gelatinous cube. Like I want to be that. I want to be the slow methodical thing, absorbing my enemy and dissolving them. Like, okay, that sounds pretty fun. So it's, the game is seriously rooted in the thematic elements um, that come across in each deck. Like it should feel like you're playing 
a gelatinous cube. And so that's really what we shot for. And he was, he, he was there along the way. You talk about problem solving and I don't really connect the dots at the moment, but when we play those decks, we would run into situations and sometimes he would actually see it more clearly. We were actually doing this just last night where we we're testing a deck and he's like, dad, dad, you don't understand. This thing here can beat this thing here. And that thing there can always beat that thing there. And that thing there can always beat the original thing. It's a circle, dad. You're, you, you can't fix that. Everybody's beating everybody. There's, it's not going to be balanced the other way in the circle. And I'm just like, it took me like a whole nother gameplay to see what he was talking about. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. So you were a step ahead of me on that one, son. But uh, so that was kind of, I guess, some of the bits that come along with it. So yeah, we started with four decks. We got those balanced and we're like, well, we can do more. We have, we have art, you know, for days. And so we started and we just kept making them and making them and making them. Um, one of the challenging aspects of that game, actually, so the way I work in my professional world is I like to rough in the entire thing and then go back and fix up all the details. Well, this overwhelms them. So like I roughed in 12 decks and he was like, it's like, dad, you can, no, no, it's too much. I can't handle it. So, you know, I was, I had to articulate to him like, well, why am I doing this? Why do I want to make sure that our rules cover all the like things for the system and like, so he's really grown and learned a lot through that experience to see like, oh, well, we can't have that weird situation or that card effect because that's going to require more rules in the rule book and we don't want that. So it's like, yes, you are, you get it. You know, you're, you're thinking in a streamlined way. And so that's, that was, that was the birth of that. And then the contest just really provided a place for us to go do that and a deadline. And we put in the long, hard work and it worked out obviously. So, yeah. yeah. It's a game I, I had a ton of fun playing with the contest and the other people that were helping me out. They weren't even designers. Uh, the way it all worked out because of COVID and all that, I had to, I, I couldn't mm-hmm. go and play test out like I wanted to. Uh, I had to play a lot with just my normal gamer friends and they just loved the game. And so it was just a ton of fun to play. And it's been a lot of fun just developing the game more with you and Jack and, and creating new decks. And I love how the theming comes through and like the way each deck feels like it feels different, even though it's inside this, this common system and you're not having mm-hmm. a whole bunch of extra stuff. It's not like a whole rule book for every character or anything like that. It's just, it's similar, but feels different. And and that's a really cool thing that y'all have, have pulled off. So all right, let's switch gears again. We've talked a lot about the positives. What are the downsides? What are the cons? What are some of the drawbacks, the negative aspects of designing games with your kids? I know I've run into to things where, it's just sometimes hard to look at your kid and go, this is not going to work. <laughs> like this is, we have to scrap this whole thing. Like that's a hard conversation. That's a downside. But what are, what are some other things in general you've run into that were kind of on the negative side? Yeah, that, that definitely happens. Maisie and I had a, a Christmas elf game. I mean, as you know, as game designers, for every one thing that actually looks kind of decent, you've got at least a hundred other things that are horrible. And so helping them to realize that is, is very hard. In fact, we poked at this like little elves delivering cookies to Santa game for a long time. And it turned out it was just like a fun exercise that we went through. You know, we had fun fiddling with it and she kept bringing, she would bring it back up and be like, dad, what about that one? Finally, I'm like, I just don't think it was our strongest idea. Like we found other ideas. You remember how we moved on to this one? And um, you know, sometimes some ideas just aren't as good as others. So yeah, I think with, with her in particular, that was probably some of the hardest um, in terms of telling her her ideas were bad, right? Like that was really hard. The I think the biggest negative or challenge with Jack has been 
helping him to understand that like he has to be patient sometimes because him and I are both super logical. So it's kind of weird that we both did, we design thematically as opposed to uh, mechanically. We tend to design for the experience we want to have. So he'll see things that I can't see. And he's had to learn to be patient because he gets, he's like, God, dad, come on. <laughs> how can you not understand this? And then sometimes I'm the exact opposite where it's like, how can you not see that this simply doesn't work, Jack? We got to let this go. Uh, and so that can be, that, that can create some very real friction. Um, I have found the best medicine for that kind of stuff is it's kind of a cop out, I guess, but it's time. Like you just step away from it. Just let it go for a little while. Um, that Space Unicorns game we were working on, we really, all three of us really butted heads over how some things should be. And finally, I was just like, oh, I'm just going to do what I think is best. I'm going to wait a week, print off a new prototype and go test it with them. And they forgot all about the other stuff that happened, right? In fact, they'll listen to this podcast and be like, what did dad do? What did he take away? But, uh, you know, they're, they're fine with it. But that is definitely, the conflict is, it can be very difficult and frustrating for everybody involved. Like, you know, for me, this is like my design output, usually. Like, I don't have time to go make a whole bunch of other games. So for me, there's a lot of passion and sort of my own, I guess, integrity, I guess, that feels like is wrapped up in it. So that can be hard to let go of and to just really be like, okay, okay, just go. it's just a thing. You know, we just had fun fiddling with a prototype. Let's move on. But yeah, so that's probably the closest we've come to negatives. And I will say that the longer they've been doing it, the better they get at it early on, especially when she was only like six. And a six-year-old is pretty young to like learn life skills of letting things go and whatnot. So um, that's that was pretty interesting but yeah i I mean there haven't really been a whole lot of negatives i guess the hardest thing for them has been deciding how to spend their royalties that they get off of the games we've sold (laughs) Maisie bought a puppy and jack brought a chromebook so far so that's what we're up to a puppy and a chromebook those are good problems to have man i right i guess one thing to always be aware of no matter what you're doing with your kids and and i'm speaking personally but i'm i've i have a feeling this is just kind of universal parenting there have been times where my kids have said something have done something and my response to it has been so much worse than it would have been with someone who's not my kid, right? Yeah. If a friend of mine, if a colleague, if, if someone just out in the world, just a regular old person that's not related to me had done or said that thing, I would not have responded as negatively or as harshly as mm-hmm. I have with my kids. And it's just, it's unfortunate that it seems like you say the worst things to the people you love the most. I, you just you care about them the most, but at the same time, you will lose your patience faster with yeah. them. You'll say things that like you would never say to anybody else. And so I guess that's just a general thing as far as parenting and just kind of being aware and, and being intentional. And like you said, just give it some time. Like, take a step back. Like, it's okay just to let it go for a while. And um, it doesn't have to be perfect. And again, that goes back to expectations like we were talking about in the beginning. Um, but just being aware of that. And that's, that's helped me just to kind of step back and go, hey, this is supposed to be fun. This is supposed to be me spending time with my kids, not, yes, not me exactly. trying to lord over some expectation that was probably falsely <laughs> had in the beginning anyway. And so, yeah. yeah, that's definitely definitely been the case sometimes. And um, all right. So anyway, um, what would you tell someone who's listening to this? They're thinking, I would love for my kids to be involved. I'd love for my spouse, my significant other, a friend of mine who's a gamer. I would love to collaborate with them and get them involved. How can they do that? What would be your advice to get to get them able to bring that other person in to design some games? I think number one, you start extremely small. And then two, you find something like a game crafter contest to give yourself some boundaries and a deadline and go from there. That's if you really kind of want to get to a finished state. Even before that is just, let's just teach them to play a prototype. 
teach them that you can like make up a game. And if we don't like a card, we can just scratch it out and make it something else. Like who cares? Like we can do whatever we want. And maybe just that activity is the fun on its own, right? Like seeing what we can do and maybe that leads somewhere. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but just realizing that whatever you do first, just like with anything, the first things you do are going to be terrible. So you might as well just have fun with it and accept it and see it as a bonding opportunity, not necessarily as like a, you know, we're going to make a million dollars off of this or something crazy like that, right? It's, no, we're just in this to have fun and spend time together. So let's make sure that we go in pretty chill and have low expectations and just start doing it. So, I mean, long before they ever played a game or long before we ever made a game together, they played my prototypes. I tortured Jack with them long before um, before that. In fact, sometimes they, they would feel really bad telling us telling me negative things. I'd be like, what are you, what are you really thinking? Well, I really don't like it. I didn't want to tell you. <laughs> that's kind of funny. But yeah, I think that's where I would start. I'd start small. I'd start potentially with a contest, even if you don't enter it, just to give yourself boundaries and a deadline and a think in a new way, right? If it hadn't been for a contest, I would have never done an 18-card game. And I would never have realized that I was actually much better at small games than big games. So in terms of design. So yeah, I think that's where I'd start. Yeah, that's great. And I definitely, definitely agree. Well, Patrick, this has been awesome. Uh, anything you want to shout out? Any place you want to tell people where they can find you online, find your other games? We've talked about Card Clash. More on that soon. I'm excited to tell people more and more here. Indeed. Pretty soon. And we'll, we'll launch the cover art and we'll tell people more and show them the game for that one. But anything else that you want to tell people about? Yeah, I'd say we push everything we do through the Game Crafter. You can find us at mcmeeple.com. You'll see all the games that I've made with the kids and some of the ones I've made on my own. But yeah, you can you can order pretty much everything I've talked about on Game Crafter. At least check it out. It's kind of fun. Um, but yeah, that's I, I have a Instagram also, mcmeeple there. But I mostly just post pictures of what I play. So sometimes you'll see a prototype sneak through that I'm working on. But uh, yeah, yeah. So we're not like, you know, super media generating people, but uh you can find us at mcmeeple.com. Awesome. Well, Patrick, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you joining me here on the show. Good luck with designing more and more games with your kids and everything else you got going on right now. Yeah, I appreciate it, Gabe. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?